Hello, everybody. We'd like to welcome you to another episode of Reading Across the Curriculum, a book talk series on our Changemaker Conversations in Education podcast channel of the Alberta Regional Professional Development Consortia, ARPDC. I'm Rick Gilson, Executive Director of the Southern Alberta Regional Office, and my co-host in this series is Charlie Craig of the Learning Network Education Services. Before we get started today, we'd the three of us, I believe, would like to offer just a, a land acknowledgement. We're coming to you. Carrie and I are located in southern Alberta. This is Treaty 7 territory, the traditional land of the Blackfoot, the Tsutina, Kainai, Siksika, and uh, as well as the regional lands of uh, Métis, Treaty, or Métis 3. As we're recording today, we've got beautiful snow falling, and it reminds me that we learn from the land through all seasons. And by paying attention in the spring, the summer, the winter, and the fall, and seeing the changes in the land, uh, you know, this has been done from time immemorial, people who were here long before us, to, and we honor uh, that this is their land that we share and their wisdom that we seek to acquire. Charlie, how about you? Well, I'm located in uh, Red Deer at the moment, and um, what unique to Red Deer is that the city occupies um, land that is recognized in both Treaty uh, 6 and 7, depending on what side of the river you're on. And so um, this means that our region um, was utilized um, and home to Blackfoot, uh, Sutina, and Stony Nakota peoples, as well as Métis, Cree, and Sotu peoples. And um, I was just thinking about that this morning, Rick, when I was walking my son to the bus, and we were noting how quiet it was, and how that fresh blanket of snow just mutes all the sound, and just appreciating how that was different than other walks that we've had um, in the morning. And recognizing um, the role that the land plays in our emotions and um, the privileges that the different seasons afford us is a, is honestly a shift in thinking that I've been very grateful to acquire in the last few years um, as I've started to learn and understand more um, around Indigenous views and um, just it makes a difference. When you think differently, you notice things differently. And I think that's a beautiful gift of learning. Yeah, almost as if you see for the very first time. Uh, Carrie, we're going to have a formal introduction, but would you like to offer anything at this time? Um, yeah, just to echo what both of you are saying and, uh, you know, speaking with Indigenous elders and, and um, other Indigenous friends here on campus, oftentimes it's uh, the fact that you're you're drawing your land acknowledgements to what the land means to you personally and i've been reflecting a lot on that as well um, about what the land means to me and and that whole connection and and how it said like for me it it centers me it helps me find kind of like that peace and that uh you know releases some stress and and i i came from the mountains i grew up in the rocky mountains and and sometimes i just feel the mountains are calling me and i need to to get out to waterton or somewhere where i can be surrounded by by the mountains and and I've had um, some Indigenous friends telling me that uh, that's because that's that's the mountains are there to give you strength and 
the water is there to give you clarity. And I just um, really appreciate that perspective and, and my appreciation. I just look at things so much differently and, and how it centers me. So, so thank you for that. As a, as a fellow mountain girl, I feel you in that comment um, because there's a place just as I'm coming home in the East Kootenays and it makes my soul sing. Like it's just, it, it feels so good um, when I'm like just at that once that spot is on the road and I'm just like, yes, this is, this is the spot. This is good. Um, so yeah. Mountain people, mountain people unite. <laughs> <laughs> so to, today we welcome uh, Carrie Tanaka from the University of Lethbridge Bookstore. Carrie has been actively involved in promoting literacy in schools and her community for more than 25 years as a bookseller and dedicated book author supporter. She began her book selling career while pursuing a BA at the University of Lethbridge, go pronghorns, and working at Smith Books and B. Maccabees. Before landing back on campus at the University of Lethbridge Bookstore after graduation, Carrie is passionate about connecting young readers with books that they will love and has become a trusted resource for teachers, librarians, parents and children, assisting them in book selections that inspire a love of reading and discovery. Welcome to our podcast, Carrie. I saw B. Maccabees in your intro and I was like, yes, <laughs> that is that was a place that was like coming home, you know, and uh, as an undergrad, my friend and I would grab a coffee from the penny and uh, hunker down at B. Maccabees and read picture books to each other is what we did for fun because we're super square like that. Um, so <laughs> how are you today, Carrie? I'm awesome. I'm so excited Welcome. to be talking to you. I mean, I'm always happy to be talking about books, but super happy to be talking to the both of you about books today. So how do you go about curating book collections or how do you decide, obviously you can't buy them all. Um, how do you, what does that look like for you as you make those selections um, for the for the bookstore um, in kind of what you offer? Yeah, so, um, you know, book selling, we come at it um, maybe in a lot of ways in similar ways that other people curate their collections. Um, but we are really always thinking about not only what do we love to read, because we have to love what we're, we're selling as well to be able to give book talks and inspire people to pick it up. You, um, I don't know about you guys, but uh, for us, we can't really fake it. Like I, I can't fake <laughs> loving, having loved a book, which is why like, I, I only post about books that I love. And it doesn't mean that I don't love others, but because I only have so much time in the day. Um, but we are also always actively trying to find books that will appeal to our customers and our clients and um, many of whom are teachers in K-12. to We have our, um, our education um, department here on campus that we're really happy to serve and work with and, um, and help pre-service teachers, but then also teachers once we say once you get into the wild and you become real live teachers out there in the wild, then we're happy to support that way as well. We're, we're always thinking of our readers first and foremost. Um, and so we can't just get in, um, you know, we can't just curate a collection of our favorite genres, right? Because otherwise that's a collection that I will love, but not broad enough to, uh, to meet the needs of other people. So we really have to, um, to delve into everything new that's coming out. Um, we think first, what will our clients love to read? Um, we're not necessarily thinking about, um, curriculum, 
um, at that point of the point of actually curating our collection, we're thinking about what are the kids going to love? What are teachers going to love um, to bring into their classes that might inspire um, different conversations, artwork, perhaps like any of these kinds of things. So it, eventually we kind of start to make curriculum ties, um, but it's after we've also already selected like what we love. Um, so yeah, that's our starting point. Who, who's going to read this? Who's going to want to add this to their collection? Um, and, uh, and how can we make sure that our very limited shelf space in our store that's designated to our children's book area um, has the best of the best on there. We have to be very selective about what we're getting. We don't have a huge warehouse that we can carry every single children's book. Um, so we need to be really selective about what we're putting out there and, and make sure that um, that we're hitting the mark whenever we can. Just before, I, I have been surprised when I, I've gone down, just as you referenced right now, the size of your bookstore. Uh, but bookstores are shrinking, libraries are shrinking in lots of places. Um, is there a, a, a digital component to your recommendations in addition to what's on the shelf? I know you post on Twitter and certainly encourage people to follow Carrie on, on Twitter and social media as you post regularly, but is there a second layer to, here's, your, here's our other recommendations in addition to what's there? Um, yeah, so you mean like in addition to what's physically on our shelf space at right, any given right. time? Um, yeah. yeah, so we um, we run a special order program as well. So basically, if it's in print, um, we can bring it in. Um, so we have to be very selective of what we have on our on our shelf. And, and sometimes we have to, um, you know, give up shelf space for newer titles and some of our, our old well-loved titles. Um, end up being put back kind of on the special order list. But yeah, anything that's in print, just like any other um, bookstore, we're able to special order and bring in for people. We do that quite often. Um, oftentimes when we get asked for recommendations for very specific themes or, um, or tie-ins or different things like that, we will send lists of recommendations, um, not necessarily only what's on our shelf, but what are our favorites? Like if somebody wants recommendations on um, you know, social justice issues or something like that, then my colleagues and I will create that list, send it out. If we have it, great. If not, happy to special order it in. So there's always that option. I, I love that you're like that extra layer of resource, right? To say, I'm you know, almost like a librarian, right? <laughs> to say, hey, um, what else can I get around this topic? I think that's great because I'm not sure every teacher would think to use uh, someone like yourself in that way um, to leverage your knowledge to help them build the the collection. Um, so I think that's awesome. Um, and it, funny enough, you mentioned social justice. Um, how do you approach books or content that is seen, could be seen as uh, controversial or problematic in your curation process? Um, so for, um, for us being a bookstore, we don't have to, uh, and, and especially being a bookstore at a university, um, we don't have to worry about that as much, I don't think, as, as uh, people that work in other areas. Um, and our, our position is, or well, I shouldn't say our, like my position is always a good book is a good book. If I read it and it's a good book and uh, um, then I'm going to recommend it. 
And it's up to whoever I'm recommending it to, to make the decision whether or not it's appropriate um, for, um, for their audience or what they're, how they're going to use it. So I'm kind of like arm's length from any, any, um, you know, controversy or anything that might surround topics. Um, I am, I mean, if you follow me on social media, then, then you would know that I am like an avid, avid supporter of um, diverse books and diverse authors. And um, like I say, like a good book is a good book. And when, when people come and ask me like, Ooh, I don't know, should I have this on my shelf? And, um, or how do I, how do I introduce this into my classroom? Um, from my perspective, I'm like, well, if it just, just put it on your classroom shelf, <laughs> that's how you put it in the classroom. Now I don't have to answer to, I don't have to answer to administrators or parents or whatever or call. So I'm like, um, I like your style, Carrie. I'm not going to lie. Put you it on your shelf and see what happens. Take it on the shelf. Yep, yeah, that's right. But I, I do, I mean, I, I, I kind of say that in jest, but I do um, understand that it, that it can and has been a real issue in, in some classrooms and, um, and uh, that not all books are necessarily right for all classrooms. I, I trust that teachers know their students way better than I do as either a bookseller or a parent and know the dynamics of your classroom. And, and I, um, I do uh, appreciate um, when my kids' teachers send letters home that will say, you know, like they're, these are the books that we're, that we're looking at. And we think that at, um, at this particular age that your children are at, that they should know what what is appropriate for them and what isn't. And um, let's have a discussion if there are any issues. But I mean, my kids can read, read anything that they want. I'm pretty um, easy going about that. So, um, but yeah, sorry, I am starting to ramble. <laughs> no, you're, do, oh. you're doing just- You're doing great. You're doing just fine. I do want to circle back though, because <laughs> I, I, I love the expression, but I wonder if you might be able to flesh it out a little bit uh, you you said uh, in effect, if it's a good book, it's a good book, and if I think it's a good book, then then we're going to get it. What makes a book good, in your opinion? Oh my goodness, that's an excellent uh -huh. question. What makes a book good? Um, for young readers, um, it has to catch them right away. I think especially now that um, you know, with, with so much competition, with social media and information overload and everything. And I know uh, with my kids who are teenagers now, um, they're used to the quick hits of information. And so if that book doesn't catch them and hold them right off the bat, um, then I think that uh, that that can be challenging for um, for some readers, right? So when when I'm reading young adult and middle grade and, and thinking about my audience um, and who I ultimately want that book to get into the hands of, it needs to be engaging right away. Um, I hate to say it, but my goodness, covers now. Covers and the graphics uh, like are just, they're just so important to um, helping readers find them and, and engage with them right away before they op even open the first, to the first page. Um, I just, I don't know, like maybe we're just more visual now and how we're approaching things. So I think like book covers are, are really, really important. Um, and uh, yeah, for, for me, I guess beyond that, a, a good book is just something that just hits all of your feels. It makes you think, like it, it doesn't tell you what to think, but makes you think about the topic at hand and, and um, draws you into somebody else's story or somebody's story that's familiar to yours and just makes that connection with you right away that draws you right through. And then at the end of it, you're just like, oh, wow, like that, 
makes me think differently or, or that was um, just really moving and emotional. And um, you know, what I want to, I guess when I end a book and I'm like, I want to talk to somebody about this book. I wonder what, <laughs> I wonder what Brent would think about this book, or I wonder what, uh, what Charlie or Rick, I wonder what you guys will think. I need to talk to somebody about this book. That's what makes a good book is one that I'm still thinking about when I'm, I've turned that last page. It's funny you mentioned the the cover. I have always been judge book by its cover. Like always. It has to catch my eyeballs before it's going to like catch my brain to want to read it. Um, and I'm finding it, now there's like a certain design thing going on with certain book covers where it's like a very similar font, probably looks handwritten. There's probably something abstract in the background. And I just kind of get, come on, guys. Like we need to branch out a little bit, you know? Um, and so I love that you mentioned this, like the, the cover has to do something for you, uh, whether we like to admit it or not. We shop first with our eyes, just like we eat first with our eyes, right? If the plate comes to us and it doesn't look delicious, then it's probably not gonna taste as delicious as we think it should. You think, Charlie, you look past the cover when a book is recommended to you because you already have an insight that what's inside that cover is worth it. Like I, I'll just, hey, you need this book. I'll if I'm in a bookstore and I see it, cover or not, somebody said I need to read this book. That that'll get me past it. But just browsing at the like coming in and standing and just kind of looking through a category, then it's a different deal, right? And I think that's the danger of Twitter because enough people I follow are like, this book is great. Where every book I go, I'm like, ooh, someone told me about that book. No, they didn't, Charlie. You just saw it on social media, but now it's in the cart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it is different if someone's going to tell you why, you know, mm -hmm. and that, that's what, you know, what makes a good book for you. It's kind of, you need to read this book. Tell me more. Tell me a little bit more at least. It, you know, it's like uh, you got to get a little bit of the story, something from page seven, uh, mm -hmm. something that'll get me a little bit further in there. But yeah, the hook piece, appreciate that very much. Did I hear you correctly? Did you say it needs to hit, hits all your feels? It hits all my feels. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very interesting. So what, what are some of the feels like joy, sadness, uh, or all of it, right? Like it hits. So it hits all of my emotions. Like it takes me on that bit of a roller coaster ride of, you know, the, and the, in, the tension and intensity and, and um, hope and fear and joy and sadness, like any of the, like if it hits all of that. Um, I think a lot about how books engage my, my heart and my emotions, mm. like not to get all like sort of frou-frou about it but it, you know does it has it hit my heart and my emotions and also has it hit my brain right like what is it like what's happening in, with my with myself emotionally has it given me goosebumps has it like you know um like what does it make me feel but then also what is like I was saying like what does it make me think what do I think now that I put down this book and I've engaged with this story and these characters and um um has my view of the world changed at all? Have I learned something new? Do I want to go learn something more? Like, oh my goodness. Like I've read um, some books recently where I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't know about this part of history or, or um, this particular occurrence. And now I want to go and find out more and read more about it. Right. 
So very definitely, I think probably all three of us have experienced that most recently um, in reading Valley of the Bird Tale. Uh, you know what? You didn't see that before. You didn't hear that before. You didn't know that. I find myself thinking as you're describing this about our, our books, like a really good, big, long roller coaster ride. Sometimes you know when you're going up and it's and it's you can hear it kind of click 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 as it's going up, and then you're going over the top and now you're racing down and and now there's a sharp turn and then there's a sharp turn and then again later in the book there's another click 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 and then go again yeah fascinating hits all your feels i'm gonna adopt <laughs> that one carrie that might be that might be a banner of the promotional graphic that goes with this podcast <laughs> <laughs> love it so carrie let's put you in your element here what are some books that you are particularly excited about right now? Maybe they're ones that you've had the advanced reader copy and so you're like, this is coming out in this month and I am so excited to have this. Or maybe they're currently sitting on the shelves at the U of L bookstore. Mm -hmm. um, but what are some books that you wanna get in the hands of the, the people that are listening? Oh, so I just read one or I'm reading one right now. I'm just, I have it next to me so I don't forget the author. So. I'm reading one called Wild Oak by C.C. Harrington. This one came out in September. And if you yourself, or if you have students or kids that love books like The One and Only Alvin by um, Christina Applegate, or um, did I just give the wrong name? It's Christina Applegate, right? No, that's the, that is the actor, Christina. That's the actress. I was that's like, oh, actress. she wrote that book. I'm like, no, it's, it's, um, it's Catherine Applegate. <laughs> pause. <laughs> I always, I always get those two mixed up. Um, cause I love them both, but I'm just going to look it up right now make sure I'm saying the correct authors. Okay. So, um, the one and only Ivan by Catherine Applegate. If, if you, um, have loved that book and I know many, many teachers and students love that book, the animal connection, um, wild oak is very, much hitting me in the same fields, Rick, <laughs> as books like the one and only Ivan or Pax or any of these really nice animal um, stories, right? So um, Wild Oak is set in the 20s. It's historical fiction in, um, in England. And a young girl has a stutter and she's not doing very well in school and, and people don't understand her. And so her parents don't really know what to do. Her teachers are saying like, no, she's not she's not thriving here. She's not going to do well in our school. And so they want to send her away to another, um, um, more of like an institutional type um, environment where they feel that they can, she can get the help that she needs to overcome her stutter. And she's terrified. She's, she's heard terrible things about this place and doesn't want to go. So she um, is sent for the summer to go live with her grandfather for a while, um, more in, um, you know, back to talking about nature. She's in a very, a much more natural setting whereas a snow leopard has been released by somebody who purchased it for their sister as a, as a birthday gift. And of course the, the snow leopard destroys the, um, their, their apartment. And so she's like, I'm, I can't have this animal, get rid of it. And so they end up dumping it in the, the forested area near where this girl ends up living with her grandfather for the summer. And I'm just, I'm halfway through it. I'm, or she's at the point where she's um, she's discovered that the leopard um, is living out there. Nobody believes her because le snow leopards don't live in this area. And um, the chapters are written in alternating perspectives between this, this young girl and the snow leopard. So you get the, the leopard's voice and the, the sort of 
confusion at first about about being separated from his sister and and ending up in this strange new apartment and then now all of a sudden in the back of a truck and now all of a sudden being dumped in a snowy forest and not knowing what to do and and um you get his perspective as well which is is really quite sweet and and adds a lot of action and and whatnot to the to the narrative so i'm just really loving it it's giving you know that kind of that gentle story of this girl trying to overcome her her stutter but then also the the action and survival instincts of this young animal trying to find its way as well. And, and like I said, I'm at the point where I'm sure these two characters are going to come together somehow. And I'm just really looking forward to how it's going to turn out. Just, just I'm making before. a shopping list. <laughs> <laughs> and, and but just before we go on on this, because uh, I, I have a feeling we might hit a few titles that people aren't necessarily familiar with in this conversation, but we'll uh, curate a list and, put that list up on our website with the uh, post that goes with this um, podcast so that people will be able to grab that and take a look. So we don't need to, we don't need people to be driving and thinking, Oh, I need to write this down as they listen <laughs> to the podcast. It'll, it'll all be there for you. Okay. What's next on my shopping list, Carrie? Um, well, Colin Kepernick has a publishing imprint now um, that is being distributed by Scholastic and um, there are a couple of new graphic novels that are coming out right away here. Um, so I don't think they're available yet. Let me see. No, it looks like not until March. Oh, one's coming out in February. Um, so one is called Dreamer by, um, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce this right, but it's a, uh, an apologies if I'm mispronouncing. I think pronouncing names correctly is very important and I should have been more prepared. But Akeem Alou, I believe is the, hmm. is, am I pronouncing that right? He was a, um, a hockey player, one of the the first um, um, Nigerian-born, Ukrainian-Canadian professional hockey players in Canada, and um, it's just a beautiful graphic novel that's so appealing for young readers right now um, about trying to make your way in uh, the sports world that was predominantly white and. Um, you know, sort of the, the racial tensions that he's experiencing and, um, and growing up and, and trying to figure out his identity, both in his community and also as a hockey player. So absolutely loved it. And then the other one that's coming out um, under the same imprint is actually Colin Kaepernick's story, um, Change the Game. So it's a graphic no novel um, written by Colin Kaepernick about, um, about his life. And I had no idea that Colin Kaepernick started in baseball. He was going to be like, and so this is again, like learning something new, right? Like, so we've, we've heard, I've heard all about Colin Kaepernick on the football field. And then I picked this up. I'm like, why is he holding a baseball glove on the cover? I don't understand what's up. So, you know, like I just had no knowledge of that and how he, he was um, such a good baseball player in high school. And that was going to be, everybody thought he's going to get scholarships. He's going to be this baseball player. And he's like, no, like football, football is where. Um, I feel my identity is and football is what I want to do. And he held out and held out and held out until he got that, uh, that football scholarship. And then again, like his, uh, his struggles with trying to find his identity and who, who he, um, he was at home and on the, and on the field and, and when to take a stand and how do you take a stand and um, the consequences of taking a stand, but, but doing it anyways. And I just absolutely love the message behind it and, um, and learning more about his life. And you get all the sports action that I think is really cool as well. Like, so you can, um, you, you can kind of insert these other bigger um, worldviews and messages inside of a sports book. So you're already engaged. It's like, oh my gosh, look at the, 
look at him play baseball and look at these like incredible football scenes and everything that they've graphically um, illustrated in, the, in these books. But I, I'm just, I'm gonna really start watching his imprint because boy was I impressed with these two graphic novels. Um, and I'm not, I, I wouldn't consider myself like a, like a sporty person. Like <laughs> I don't tend to lean towards sports books and, and yet, you know, I do, I read a lot of them because I know that they are very popular, but I'm starting to love sports books now, like love them. I'm kind of a little obsessed with them. I've been reading a lot of them. So yeah, a little, little thing that I've learned about myself and, you know, not to put yourself in that box of, you know, what I like, <laughs> because I like, <laughs> I like a lot of stuff. I surprise myself. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I love, loved these ones. You know, it's a little bit like mining for gold. The nuggets are small. And they're in the midst of a whole bunch of other stuff. Definitely, as I think to the physical education and wellness curriculum and and the character development piece, there's certainly a, a lot inside sports pro and con on character development. But love that Colin's hitting this and he's hitting it in a graphic novel way that's very accessible for a wide population base, right? He's he's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. And the artists that they have paired with, uh, with these books are just absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal artwork in them. Cool. And next. Oh my next. goodness. <laughs> I could go on forever and ever. Okay. And we will let you. Awesome. <laughs> okay. So let me. At let least me... a couple of three more anyway. Okay. Yeah. So I'll tell you about another one that's coming up. Um, it is. Um, called Delicious Monsters by LaSalle Sambury. She's a can Canadian author, which is very exciting. Uh, so Trinidadian Canadian author. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Sadie that came out um, a while ago. It's, uh, it's a um, kind of a crime thriller. That's Anyways, you should look up Sadie for sure um, because that's an amazing, amazing book also. Um, but the, they're comparing this one. The publishers are comparing Delicious Monsters with Sadie and um the haunting of hill house is, that, is, Sadie, Ooh, right? is sadie by courtney summers yes yeah okay yeah and it like um like sadie is one of those intense psychological um young adult thrillers and the the timelines are really interesting in in sadie because there's a there's a podcaster that's trying to solve this crime. And so you get these kind of dual narratives that are going to meet in the middle and delicious monsters is like that too, except it's, it's about a haunted house. And um, so you get the one storyline from the teen girl whose family, her and her mom have inherited this, this haunted house. And there um, she can see ghosts. She's always been able to see ghosts and this house is full of them. And she's trying to figure out sort of why, why is this a place where all the ghosts are congregating and there's a sense of danger and, um, and um and mystery surrounding this and so you get her story that's kind of moving you in in like forward in the story but then you get the story of um a young woman and her friend who are journalists and they are um creating like webcasts and and such about uh, about like, ghost stories famous ghost stories and so they are unraveling this mystery of what happened so you know as a reader something happened at some point in this haunted house somebody was killed and they're unraveling unraveling this mystery of like what happened what's the true story about what happened um in this house and you're getting the story coming at you from both directions so you have you know like the one character where the 
the haunting is happening and you know it's going to lead up to somebody being killed in the house. And then you have the um, the journalists that are trying to kind of go in reverse. <laughs> and then you, as a reader, you ultimately meet in the middle um, where you find out what happened. Um, so I just love the way that she's mm -hmm. told the story that way because you get these hints dropped from both sides and you're like, oh, what's going to happen? Oh my gosh, is it going to be this character that that ends up um, being killed in the house or, or um, and and there's all these plot twists and then yeah, the, the unraveling of the mystery at the same time coming from the present time and working its way back into the past. And there's so many layers of um, like thematically going on in here as well. Like, so when you're talking about, you know, how can we pull these things that we know that kids will love into different, um, different areas of the, of the curriculum. And for sure, in like, for an English class, you could definitely unravel it, but, but social studies, there's all kinds of um, discussion on race and, and privilege and um, different things like that, that you could really delve into in a social studies class. So I think that this is an author to watch. I like, it's, I couldn't put it down. I mean, it's, it's a big book, this one. Um, but I don't think that that's going to turn kids away because it is so engaging and talk about covers. Like if you look this one up, the cover is phenomenal, like phenomenal covers. So, um, yeah, so I highly recommend that one. And, um, can I recommend another one? Oh, you can recommend <laughs> all of them. Yes. <laughs> and, and maybe uh, a little like here's some for the younger class. And, and oh, this yeah, for we're, sure. We're certainly up for, up for all the above here for a little bit of time. Okay. Um, sorry, young adult is my, my thing. I love young adults because uh, I just think the characters are, I mean, they're, they're old enough that they are learning so much about themselves, but they're still... Um, very naive in many ways and and um, and risk takers so I just I just love the intensity that young adult characters throw into the mix but one middle grade one that I read that I would say would be more for um, for you know probably grades six seven ish or five six seven um, is The Lost Year by Catherine Marsh I just finished reading this this is um, um, again like three three or four different perspectives in this one and one of them is in 2020 so he this 12 year old boy and his mom and his great grandmother are isolating together um throughout the pandemic and he's been on he's online doing online schooling he's playing his video games all day long and finally his mom's like that's it like no video games go help great your great grandma go through some of these boxes that she's been meaning to go through and organize. And so he starts going through these boxes and he finds old photographs and, and documents and starts asking his grandma to share, um, share some stories about what are, what am I finding here? And great grandma's reluctant at first, but finally she starts talking and, and this throws us back into the past and into um, um, Ukraine in the 1930s and the forced famine and, and these cousins, one, one cousin, is the daughter of um, a very high-ranking official um, who is a, an avid supporter of Stalin. One of the cousins is um, from, comes from a family of a of a peasant um, farmer who has been forced to give up his farm to the collective. And the third cousin is living in America. Like they've been, they've managed to to get to America and is trying to piece together the truth of what's happening with their family members in Ukraine. And um, just what she covers in this book from, you know, the, the 
integrity of, of journalists and what it means to get the truth out there and what it means when, when big name um, newspapers publish things that are not entirely um, true, but, uh, and, and how it shifts the public's perspective of the truth. It was so fascinating, especially with everything that's going on now. We talk a lot about spread of misinformation and different things like that and the responsibility of, of journalists and people um, to find the true stories and to listen to the stories of people who are experiencing it um, and not try to overlay our own perspectives and bias into the, the stories. But so much hope with this book as well, because the, the kids all figure out how to bring the truth to light, um, even though we're talking in two different time frames. The, the cousins in the 1930s versus this young boy in 2020. Um, oh, there is a plot twist in this one that just took my breath away. <laughs> you know, those plot twists where you just kind of drop the book suddenly. It's like, oh my gosh, that did not just happen. <laughs> and then you have to pick it up again and then continue with the story. But it's it's this is a book that I think is going to captivate so many readers because it just hits so many different elements of interest. And it and it is unraveling a mystery of like how are these three cousins connected and and why is great grandma so um, uh, so reluctant to tell certain parts of the story? Is it just the sheer emotion of it or is she hiding something or, or trying to keep a big secret? And what is the big secret that great grandma has? And just a beautiful, beautiful story. My shopping well, list is growing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there are books that I, I'm interested in reading because of your uh, book talk and enthusiasm and then also interest in having at my house for when uh, some of my grandchildren come down to visit for the summer as they're now into grade five six seven I know I'm getting older but yeah beautiful really really fascinating and to see somebody take that the title of the last year and I'm, and then you said well it's COVID and you're kind of like yeah okay that, that makes sense, but I suspect that that title harkens back to another time in in history as well, and it draws the connection there. Um, yeah, the the connections are are incredible. The way that it starts out, you're like, hey, how is this author going to draw these storylines together? And she does it so well, like she meshes them together so well. And I also think with historical fiction. Um, what I really look for too, when I'm trying to think, okay, what are, what are young kids going to pick up and how are they going to relate to something that happened in the twenties the or the thirties? And when you have an author like Catherine Marsh or Alan Gratz does it really well too, is um, they put these characters in here. that are contemporary characters and telling a contemporary story and in a situation and a setting that our kids can immediately grasp, right? Like she's talking about 2020 and the pandemic and we all had to isolate. I mean, any middle grade reader is like, there it's like i i did that i can relate to that i'm i'm in, invested in the story because i have a place in it and then you, you use that as kind of the um the anchor of the story to throw you back in time like sometimes i think when historical fiction starts in the past you you lose your connection to it because you're like oh that was that was so long ago that could never happen now but when you have this parallel storyline happening in a time frame that you're familiar with and you're seeing the resemblance between some of the red flags that were going up in the historical setting, and then now you're seeing similarities in your own, and you're like, oh, wow, this was really resonating with me now because you think like, oh, that happened so long ago. It could, it could never happen again. It would never happen again. 
but look at what's happening over here in yeah. in the contemporary current time. And I just think that's such a brilliant mechanism for these authors to use to say, well, here's, you know what, you can relate to this story because here's a kid that's just like you that, um, and here's his connection to it. So you, you recognize your place right away. I think that it sounds like a great text to use to really dig into authors, the craft of writing and how we can do the work intentionally, right? Like there's nothing in a book that's accidental that accidentally got put in the book. Um, and so what did the author do as far as choices within their craft to engage you as a reader, to tie the storylines together, to, you know, offer parallel contrasting characters, um, those kinds of things. And those are my LA teacher brain is firing in rapid time here as you're talking about um, <laughs> that particular book. Do you have any, now this is a selfish question. Do you have any picture books that you are particularly <laughs> excited about? Oh, I do. <laughs> to add to my shopping list? <laughs> yes. Um, so let me just. Nice one, mom. Way to go. <laughs> um, okay. So let me talk about. Um, my first story. I just want to make sure that I'm getting all of my authors correct. Okay. So have you heard of My Suitcase yet by Christina Fox? She is a local, um, uh, she works at um, a local school here. So yes, I think I have it. You have it. So it's about, her, it's about her residential school experience and how she took her suitcase and, um, and they took everything away from her. It's, um, she's written it in, in verse. And the illustrations are very, very cool. Um, and then it's all about now what she's done to, uh, what is she doing now to refill her suitcase? Like the, the whole healing journey. And speaking about land acknowledgements, how we were talking earlier, I had an excellent, um, you know, too brief conversation with her. I wish I, I mean, she's got such a good vibe about her and such just a good, she's just such a lovely person to talk to. But just in the few minutes that I was talking to her, um, she describes in her book, um, land acknowledgements and how she views land acknowledgements to be, and her connection to the land to be that connection between your head and your heart. And the closer you are to the land, um, and, and the more respect given the, the shorter the path between your mind and your heart and the less connected you are, the longer the path between your mind and your heart. And that's what creates the uneasiness and the unsteadiness. And so that's why you have to continually, um, acknowledge your connection um, to keep that path between your mind and your heart short. I just, I loved how she, how she put that. And, um, and she's actually the one that gave the explanation about, Hey, when you go to Waterton, that's why you're feeling that way. You're feeling the strength of the mountains. You're feeling the water, taking your troubles away. You're feeling the strength of the trees around you. And um, she's just such a lovely person, but this book is just, it's so great because it's, it's a good way to introduce the residential school system to all grades, all grade levels. Um, it's entirely appropriate for, um, and uh, she she leaves that with that message of hope, right at the end of it as well, where all of these bad things happened, and she doesn't shy away from from the bad things that happened, but she she talks about the healing and um, and the story and the importance of sharing story and the the importance now of what what do you look for in your life when something really bad has happened to um to bring new meaning back into your life and to find the good and to find the positives again and that whole metaphor of like refilling what are you refilling your suitcase with that was emptied you had like you had no control over them emptying your suitcase but now you have control to put things back into it 
So that's a lovely, lovely book that I think we'll be talking about for a while. And when that's important to be in classrooms, um, another one that I love, um, it's called, this story is not about a kitten. Um, and this is one that might not be as well known yet, but we're going to start talking about it a lot. Um, this is by, uh, oh my goodness, I should have practiced names beforehand, but Rand Randall DeSev and illustrated by Carson Ellis. But here's another one that I love because it's another one that's amazing for all grades. You could use this book K through 12. Like, and picture books really? that do that are just, they just blow my mind because I always say picture books are for everybody. I 100% believe that. I love, love, love picture books. And, um, but this one, um, this, this story is not about a kitten. It's about a, a kitten that is lost in a community and somebody finds this kitten and okay, well, we found this kitten. What are we going to do? Well, who's going to feed the kitten? Who's going to, um, you know, how are we going to shelter the kitten? Uh, how are we going to find this kitten at home? And you see, as you turn through the pages that more and more of the community is coming together to um, work together to do what's best for this kitten. Um, but the, so the reason that this, that the title is the story is not about a kitten is because it's really about the community coming together around a singular cause, which happens to be the kitten. So it's, it's, it's not just a story about the kitten. Um, and the reason that I think that this is so good for K to 12 is, um, obvious reasons like elementary school, you can talk about your connection to the community. You can talk about friendship and kindness to animals. And, um, how do you cooperate to work together to solve a problem? But my kids are in middle school and high school right now. I have um, my son's in grade 11 and I can't begin to tell you the number of conversations that I've had with my son in grade 11, where I'm saying, you have to dig deeper into the text, Kian. Like you have to dig deeper, dig deeper. And he's like, what does that mean? <laughs> what do you mean dig deeper? I don't know because he's so literal about everything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this book, this story about is not about a kitten. I'm like, if you have kids like that in middle school or high school, that are struggling to find that deeper meaning in a text, what a simple way to illustrate that, right? Like through um, like a very simple story, very simple illustrations, but it's totally grasping all those elements of you dig deeper into the text. Like, sure, you read this on the surface and yeah, it's about a cat, the cat got lost. Of course it's about a kitten, but what else is it about, right? And so that's why I think it'll have like really good, good purpose for like, you know, all across and the illustrations are so cute and, you know, so little kids are going to love it. It's a great read aloud. It's one of these stories that just keeps building and building and building. And, um, but again, you can see the value of it in uh, like middle school or, or high school. You can see the value of it in, um, in English. Like I said, you can see the value of it in like social studies and, and community building and that kind of thing. Like there's just so many ways that you can use these, these picture books as, um, as ways to inspire um, different things in students. So yeah, love it. That is that is a surprise. I, I didn't expect to come away with a book that uh, could reach K to 12. And I'm, as you're describing it again, I'm thinking, oh, oh, that would fit really well in in this part of the English curriculum or, or you could you could use it in this theme unit. It also again could hit on key elements of uh, that are covered in the physical education and wellness curriculum. And just the idea of digging deeper, uh, working your way through what's, what the additional meanings are of a story, um, all really, and captured in a, in, in a book written by an award-winning author and illustrator, set New York Times bestseller author. <laughs> this story is not about a kitten. Well, what's it about then? That's what you're supposed to learn. Yeah. 
exactly yeah whoa one more for the for the audience one more oh my goodness okay so um i think i'm gonna go with i am quiet because that was another one that um that i just appreciate so much it's called i am quiet a story for the introvert and all of us and it's by andy powers and betsy peterson and um it's funny how sometimes books just kind of find you at the right time. Like I, um, I'd just been having some discussions with a, a faculty member here on campus and we were talking about um, quiet spaces and this, um, this idea that uh, in schools, like in many schools, it's all about the like, you know, rah, rah school spirit. And that's absolutely fantastic. And you should be building that school spirit and that culture of, of support for each other but also the need to balance that with quiet spaces for the students or, or kids or people that just need to have a little bit of downtime to, you know, reflect and absorb and different things like that. And so this book celebrates um, that this whole idea that it's okay to be quiet and sometimes the misunderstanding that that can bring. Um, so um, the first page, uh, it says, my name is Emil. I'm quiet. Grownups tell me don't be shy but I am not shy. I'm quiet. And so I like that it's making this distinction, like, because I, I was very introverted growing up. Um, not so much anymore, but, (laughs) but I was when I was growing up and it took a lot of practice for me not to be, but I was always told, Oh, she's really shy. Oh, she's really quiet in class. She never really says much or anything, but I, I wasn't shy. I like, I don't think I was ever really shy. I just wasn't the one that was like sticking my hand up in the air first and, and like, you know, pick me, pick me. I was just, you know, very reflective and very quiet. Um, and so, and it goes on to say, like, I'm quiet on the outside, but not on the inside. On the inside, my imagination shouts loudly and runs wild. So it gives you more perspective on the quiet kids, right? So and on the inside, I'm the daring captain of a great ship. I shout to my crew to pull up the anchor and onward we go. Um, so it's just, it's so, so lovely. It's just a book that celebrates the quiet kids. And I just think it's so important. And you know, I read parts of this book at um, at an event with a whole bunch of teachers that were middle school and high school, and how many of them said, "Oh my gosh, I feel seen!" Like, like they as adults were like, "I feel seen." This was my experience growing up, and then just you can start to hear and eavesdrop on the conversations about how they're going to use this in the classroom and and how they're going to rethink their classroom spaces to um, to celebrate um, um, the quiet kids and stuff like that as well, and. Yeah, just I, I think it's a really important one for educators to um, to know about. And like I said, like, you know, Rick, when you're talking about what makes a good book and picture books, too, right? So like I said, even as an adult, a 45 year old woman, and I read this and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I wish that this book existed when I was growing up because I would have like it would have been something that I would have been able to give to somebody to explain like, no, I'm not shy. No, I'm not disengaged. No, like I'm not any of these things that you think I am. I just I'm, I'm Emil <laughs> in, in this book. <laughs> I think you just described that book just described my five-year-old um, because the amount of time it takes him to get comfortable in a space. And it's not that he's shy. It's that he's like observing all the things in figuring out like, how does this space work? Who are the key players? Where am I going to be the most comfortable? Um, like that's, he's just thinking, he's thinking about all that stuff. And then when he's ready, he's in there and that's, he's good, but it just takes time for him to 
to do that processing and thinking, you know, particularly in new spaces. Mm-hmm. I, I found myself as okay, I, I'm not familiar with this book. I am quiet, a story of the introvert. And then as you're describing it, I'm like, but I, I feel like I have read part of that. And then it, it took me over to a book that would not def, would would not be for younger, but maybe for a high school people who were interested. Okay, this was very nice, and this opened the door for me. I'd like to know more. Okay, here's Susan Cain's book, uh, Quiet. Mm. You know, so you can you can come into this and and go that little bit deeper and and. Uh, but again, age piece, but having it available, even, you know, seeing it as kind of like <laughs> a gateway book uh, or or something like that. It's an introduction. It lets people see. It's interesting. I am quiet. You take a look, do a search, say, okay, I've got to add that to my list. And right beside it is when I am quiet. And that too looks like it's a picture book, Teresa Monahan and Ellie Duncan. Okay, now I'm curious what's in that one, what's in the other. And yes, I'm quiet. No, that doesn't mean I'm sad. And that's a notebook. Okay, now we've got something for and and that's the thing about about books. Books and articles, right? You 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 read this and it especially nonfiction, it it um or historical fiction and, and you start to make connections and the next thing you know like charlie said well my shopping list is so bigger as david robinson said uh what was it to be read my tbd or tbr list uh, to be read list is so long uh, yeah it's it's like uh attempting to ski down a long mogul run it's winter in canada and there's lots of snow and skiing's fun you say at the top you say okay this is how i'm going to attack these moguls but now you get bumped over here. Okay, now I'm going to read this one next. And oh, now you get bumped over. Oh, oh, okay. So now I'm going to, and just reading and thinking about what you're reading is just so critical. And thank you so much for sharing these titles with us today. So many great ones. And I know you have many, many more. We're going to, as I say, capture all these titles and, and put them up on the on the website. But uh, certainly encourage people to follow carry on Twitter because he's always sharing books, multiple books. And, you know, this reading across the curriculum piece, classroom libraries are frequently in English teachers' rooms all the way through up, language arts and and high school. But we definitely want to invite and encourage other subjects to start building up those subject-specific classroom libraries as well in the sciences. Um, We're visiting in a couple of weeks with a, a great math teacher in Alberta that's going to talk a little bit about uh, reading in the, uh, in the math class. You know, and that's a critical. And social studies teachers should have classroom libraries as well. Fiction and nonfiction, historical fiction and nonfiction. It's uh, fascinating. Carrie, you did a great job of modeling this to us, but when you um, sit or get ready to to talk to students or of any ages or different audiences like pre-service teachers at the U of L. Um, what do you think the elements of a good book talk are to convince someone that this should be added to their to be read pile? Or or to help a teacher in terms of what you might say in a book talk to convince someone to take a chance on reading that book in their classroom library. Um, yeah, so um, 
right off the top of the book talks um, that my colleague Becky and I give is we, uh, especially to pre-service teachers or to younger people, is we, um, we tell them right away, um, don't be intimidated by the people that are giving you book talks because a lot of times people will sit and look at you and say, oh my gosh, like they're so well-read. They've read like, you know, so many books and I can never keep up. And then, so you, so you're entering into that space of, oh, I, I could never read as much as they're reading. We remind people, okay, well, A, like it's our job to read and find, <laughs> find books to buy for the store so that we can sell them to people. Um, but the other thing is, is that um, we only, we only read what we love as well. And so when you read what you love, then um, you can get through quite a number of books because you're only reading what you love. If I don't love it, I'd stop reading it. So you have permission to stop reading something if you don't love it, unless it's, if it's an assignment and you have to read it, there's a whole different reason why you're being assigned to read that book. But if you're reading for pleasure, don't slog through something. There's a million books out there that you're going to love. And that book doesn't mean make it a bad book. It's just not the right book for you. So we give permission, give, like kind of give that permission to people. Um, and also if we're like, if we're going to give the book talk to a, other adults, um, we say, especially pre-service teachers, you're allowed to read children's books. <laughs> you don't have to be a child to read. Like Charlie was saying off at the beginning, like, you know, going into Maccabees and just reading picture books. Like, oh my gosh, I spend almost every lunch hour just reading picture books, not because it's my job, but because I love reading picture books. Like, why not? Like, it, you don't, there's no age limit to picture books. There's no age limit. There's no reason why you can't, as an adult, pick up a young adult book or a middle grade book and not love it. Like, you have permission to read that. Like, reading is reading. You don't need to pick up something that's extremely highly liter literary and hard to get through. Um, so just giving permission for people to read, like pick up the books and, and read. And um and then um, in terms of giving a book talk, like I also said at the beginning, don't, don't try to fake your way through something that you didn't really care for. <laughs> it, it will show, like, if you're talking about something that you love, then I think it shows and I think it's infectious, right? Like when, um, when my colleagues get up and, and book talk and, and I have the opportunity often to hear, you know, Dr. Robin Bright book talk or Rona Harkness, who is like, loves picture books probably way more than I do. Um, which is incredible. She's just absolutely amazing. When I get up and hear them book talk about the books that they've loved or my colleague, um, Becky Pullback, when she's talking about the books that she loves, like I'm listening because I know that they, they, they genuinely have loved what they're talking about. And I want to know like, what was it that, that got them so interested in this book? And that's captivating. Um, and then I think in terms of um, just giving a, a breadth of options, again, you don't want to get stuck in, like if you're, if you're book talking multiple books, you don't want to get stuck in one age group. You don't want to get stuck in one genre. You need to show variety, just like a good tasting menu, right, of, of variety and give a little bit of the story, give a little bit about why you loved it, depending on your audience, um, you know, why you think that they're going to love it just as much as you did, but also giving them permission to say, hey, pick it up and read a couple of pages. If you don't love it as, as much as I did, I'm equally as curious to know why you're not into it like I was. Um, and we can have a conversation about that, right? Like, I, like if, if you're not into it, like I said, don't read it. This is not an assignment. Like this is for pleasure. Pleasure reading is different than when you're assigned something. So um, yeah, but it, it's just getting that enthusiasm and that excitement and drawing connections, why you're gonna like this book. You know, why I think that, you know, if, if I'm talking to teachers, why do I think this is important for um, your classroom? Or even if it's not something that you could use in the classroom, per se, we will often talk about books and say, this is something that you need to know exists in the world, because 
um, you may come across a need for it at some point. And it's something sort of so off the radar, so out of the box that you wouldn't think it even exists, but you need to know that these books exist in the world so that if you need them, you know to ask for them and you know you can find them. Um, but yeah, did that. There's another level to that maybe, or as you were just making that last point, I was thinking you need to read some books that are gonna create a cognitive dissonance in your mind. This is the way the world is, or this is the way the world was. And then you read something like Valley of the Bird Tale and you go, that, that, that's not the way my world was. I, I didn't experience those things, uh, that these things really happen. Um, and and it's, it's uh, giving you another opportunity to see a part of the world that wasn't your part of the world, but it still is a part of the world. And what can you learn from that? And how can that build your capacity to, for compassion and, and understanding? Um, those kinds of pieces can't come if you just read in is there such a thing? I know there's such a thing on Twitter of being in an echo chamber where all your followers think the same as you and you think the same as all your followers and there you go. And and I think sometimes we might get in that lane in reading where we just read the things that make us confirm our beliefs as opposed to have some opportunity to think about the other side of the story because there are always other sides and uh, that understanding's got to come by taking dip your toe in some water that you haven't been in before. I always find myself saying, "Well, I don't really read fantasy, and I don't really read science fiction." And then I proceed to suggest multiple fantasy and science fiction titles. So maybe I do actually read uh, that <laughs> particular genre. I can, I I agree with that. Like we we tend to put ourselves into these like boxes that define ourselves, right? And I was always like, oh, I'm realistic fiction all the way. And that same way, like, I don't really care for science fiction. I don't really care for fantasy. I don't really care for sports books. What am I talking about? I love all of those things. Okay. I, <laughs> I talk about them. I post about them. And like I said, I only post about books I love or that I've read and that I love. And I love all of those things. So I am I'm now giving my, myself permission to get myself out of that box. That is just a complete lie that I've told myself all these years. <laughs> I love realistic, right. fiction, but I love all of, like, I love everything. Um, if it, a good book is a good book, I don't care what a you A good book it. is a good book, yes. <laughs> Call it what you want, it's a good book. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Carrie, for spending this time with us. We look forward to having you back again uh, with some more books. and. Uh, to share many times in the life of this podcast series, we hope. Um, and really appreciate you taking the time and sharing and helping us all to you know, feel your joy for books and uh, spark some additional curiosities. And, and uh, I, I, I wish we all could have a job where we get paid to read books. Uh, <laughs> and you know what? I'm going to say it is our job as just humans to make some time to read. Uh, and it probably isn't all that hard. You can find the time to read if you if you can see the importance and the value in it. And as a grandpa, yeah, reading picture books, well, that's a lot of fun. And reading picture books with your grandchildren or recording it in some way or shape or form to share it, that's a lot of fun. Do that very much 
Very, very much appreciate that. You know, as we're recording this, it's January 27th. And I do want to share because we've got a number of authors involved in presenting just for our, our listening audience. You go to the ARPDC website uh, and to the learning opportunities, and you can find there an Alberta Literacy Institute. It's a one-day conference that we're hosting on May 24th uh, for teachers primarily. But we have as our keynote, Catherine Hernandez, the Canadian author of Scarborough, is uh, opening the day. And we have a host of amazing uh, presenters uh, both international and Albertan. Dr. Robin Bright is one of those uh, that is presenting. Uh, Charlie is presenting at that uh, as well, uh, working on a session, I think, with Brent. But uh, yes, yeah, so she's nodding and going, oh, yep. Uh, anyway, um, check it out. And uh, that's another opportunity to expand your horizon for working with literature with your students in your classroom. And uh, we wish everybody a great day. And thanks for listening to this podcast with Carrie Tanaka and Charlie Craig and myself. Take care. <laughs>